Hello and welcome to What The Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Before we get into today's birth story, I did want to mention that I am making breast milk jewelry. So you might've heard it on the podcast before or seen it on Instagram. My website is www.thehoneyandgold.com, but it is super fun. I started off just making rings with people's breast milk and now I've done some pendants and in the future, some other things. So I would so appreciate your guys' support. You literally get whatever piece of jewelry you want. I send you information on how to get your milk to me. You ship your breast milk straight to my house. I then myself preserve your breast milk. I put it into whatever piece of jewelry you choose with whatever other inclusions you choose. You can see different designs um, over on our Instagram, which is just at the honey and gold or on our website on the design page, but please go check it out. I love you guys and I appreciate your support so much. Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. We have Casey on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your story, Casey. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. So starting off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Yeah. So um, I am 32 years old, almost 33, and I live with my husband, John, and our two children, Scarlett and Charlie, who I'm here to, to chat about today, mm-hmm. um, their, their pregnancy and, and the birth. Um, but we live in Charlotte and I'm a, an attorney and my husband's in finance and coming up on a 10 years together um, and been married for about five, six years now. So that's awesome. So before we kind of get into Charlie's birth, kind of give us a summary, I guess, of Scarlett's um, and, and how that went. Yeah. So they were very different births. Um, and I think having the pregnancy with Scarlett kind of made me appreciate everything with, with Charlie. So we got pregnant with Scarlett um, right at the beginning of the, the COVID pandemic. Um, so we conceived her in, in February. Um, and that was a very anxious pregnancy for me. Um, it wasn't anything major. It was it, the pregnancy overall was, was relatively smooth, but just I think in part because it was also in the middle of the pandemic. Um, so things were different. And so we just had little things pop up. So I went, uh, my first appointment wasn't set until 10 weeks because of everything. And then when I went, my husband couldn't come um, in for the ultrasound. And then we find out during the ultrasound, I'm actually a month farther along than I realized. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that was a shock. They said, no, you're, you're 14 weeks. You're in the second trimester. And, um, and I had, um, I mean, I thought I had had a period. I'd take pregnancy tests because we were trying to conceive and um, had bleeding. And so just, I was com- caught off guard completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of set me on a track where uh, kind of made me more anxious because all of a sudden I started analyzing everything over those four weeks. I was doing hot yoga and doing things that I wouldn't mm-hmm. typically do had I known I was pregnant. And so it kind of made me feel like, oh, I've messed up um, out, out of the gate. And, and so that kind of just followed through in pregnancy. So then I went to, um, I went to one of those private ultrasound, um, companies, which I know people have different mixed opinions on that, but she was, I had a, the placenta in the front and she had her hands in front of her face and was breached, which uh, I'll get to in a minute. And so I really just wanted to see her. And so we, we went in for that end up passing out during the ultrasound, wow. um, which was something I found out through pregnancy. I passed out three or four more times, mm-hmm. um, at doctor's appointments. But that one, because I was not at a 
a medical office. I ended up going to the hospital and she was fine. Everything was okay. Um, but it was kind of just little, like little things like that uh, along right. the way. And then, um, you know, at the end of the pregnancy, finding out she was breech, uh, we tried everything to, mm-hmm. to get her to flip. Uh, so we did, um, I did chiropractor, I did spinning babies. I spent most of the last month of my pregnancy upside down on an ironing board. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the classic one. Yeah, that's the one, especially at the end of the third trimester, you just mm-hmm. feel ridiculous. Um, I mean, I think at one point I was crawling around on my hands and knees backwards and forwards, you know, anything. I, could I thought Adeline was breach and I was like on all fours crawling around the house for like two days straight. <laughs> Your husband's like, what in the world is happening? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so we, we tried all of that. I tried the, the, the ECV, um, the, the version of the hospital. Um, and so went in for that and, um, you know, that unfortunately didn't work. They got her, it was almost our first insight into her personality because they got her, um, halfway and she wiggled loose and said, Nope, I'm just gonna stay right here. Head up. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, ended up, we were kind of near the end of pregnancy. At one point I thought she flipped. And I remember we were going back for ultrasounds, I think every week at that point, just to see, you know, was she flipping? Um, and, um, when I went in for that ultrasound, I had it in my head. I thought she'd flip when I was doing the spinning babies exercise and she had, and I kind of broke down in the doctor's office um, and, and got emotional because it was so late in the pregnancy. I realized, you know, this is not going to happen. And so, um, ended up having the C-section scheduled C-section at 39 weeks and the C-section itself. Uh, I did have a couple of fainting incidents that morning, but it was incredibly smooth. I had the greatest, um, uh, team though there was an OR nurse who had a daughter named Scarlett uh, and we weren't announcing her name yet but I, I was telling the nurse because she was about to be born and we were about to talk about her name and so it was really fun to share her name and, and start focusing on her because I think I spent so much of the last month of my pregnancy trying to get her to flip right. that it kind of detracted from the, the pregnancy yeah. um, and so when I kind of said all right yeah let's do the c-section it was this weight lifted off me mm-hmm. um and we were actually going to try another version the morning of the scheduled C-section because my fluid levels had gone down, but with the first version being on IV, they'd gone back up. And so um, we were going to try it, but then ended up deciding against it. And at that point, I was just ready to meet her. And so yeah. it was kind of at ease. And so, so yeah, so she was born via C-section in November, 2020. Awesome. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about that. I really didn't know. Obviously, I know a decent amount of your history, but um, I did not know all that. So that's very kind of cool to hear that side from you. Um, yeah, those those external versions are not very fun. Um, did they give you anything like pain medication wise for them or no? For the one so, you had? So yeah, so they offer, I mean, you can do the epidural. So they right. offer the epidural. Um, but at the time, I wasn't sure I even wanted an epidural if she flipped, uh, right. I, was I wanted a natural birth. And so, um, I, I declined the epidural. Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, it was uncomfortable and mm-hmm. I definitely had some, some pain and bruising in the days after, wow. but, um, you know, going into my second pregnancy, my provider was willing to do a version uh, again, if necessary. And I had every intent in trying it again. I mean, it's, it's not, um, you know, I'd heard some horror stories and in my, right. my personal situation, it was not comfortable, but, but not too bad. Yeah. You know, they really are. I feel like people either are like all about it or the thought is like, absolutely no. Um, and honestly, they are a good option in a lot of situations. Not always, you know, if there's like big fibroids or different things, keeping baby breach or the reason why, but 
but, and most women, you know, I'm a fan of them. I think it's a good shot to um, go for a vaginal delivery. Normally they're really not too terrible. The doctors don't push to the point where like, you know, they're going to, if baby is like not budging, they're not going to normally be extremely, extremely forceful. Normally they can be done very gentle. They take, you know, their sweet time with them too. Um, so it is a good option. So going into, you know, even thinking about getting pregnant with Charlie, you already sounds like knew your OB was going to be supportive of a VBAC, correct? Yeah. And so actually, um, I had a great provider. He actually mentioned it to me first. Okay. Um, uh, and so my mom had had C-section and I kind of was thought it was, you know, once a C-section, always a, a C-section, just, I mean, I just didn't know. Um, and he brought up, you know, VBAC and I, I didn't know what it was. And he you know, explained it to me and told me, you know, you want to wait at least 18 months between, um, deliveries. If you're going to try for a VBAC, or at least that's recommended. He said he would work with us if it was less than that, but that's what he recommended. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And it, it kind of became a fixation yeah. <laughs> in my second pregnancy. It's something I really wanted to experience. So. That's, that's amazing to have a provider, like so supportive and even willing to bring it up to you first, you know, normally, um, they you know, I don't, there's, there's a difference. There's like being VBAC supportive and then there's being VBAC tolerant. And I think that we see a lot of times providers, um, especially in hospital settings, being VBAC tolerant to where if you really want a VBAC and you're pressing for a VBAC, they'll tolerate you doing that. Um, but it's great to hear about a provider who's so VBAC supportive and actually offering that and even pushing you, you know, for that option. He could have very easily been like, oh yeah, you know, Casey wants a C-section, always a C-section. Let's just take the easy way out. That's kind of the things that they'll say sometimes that I've specifically heard. Um, so that's amazing that off the gate, he was like, you know, we definitely should try for a feedback. I love that. Yeah. And I think, you know, he, he knew, I mean, he had seen, you know, I'd kind of come in in tears yes. after the ultrasound that day. So they knew it was a very emotional process. I, mm-hmm. I, I kind of just really struggled. I just had anxiety and, and yeah. a lot of emotions throughout that pregnancy, but yeah, absolutely. It was wonderful that he brought it up to me and ended up having a lot of situations we can talk about during Charlie's birth, where I think it, you know, that was something where I never felt pressured, um, yeah. towards a C-section. And I think, you know, the providers is huge in making sure that your, your needs are being heard and, and met. So. Yeah. Okay. So getting into kind of Charlie's birth and his birth story, tell me about finding out you were pregnant with him. Yeah. So we, we waited the 18 months and we um, started trying to, to get pregnant. And when we got pregnant, my, my husband really wanted to be there to, to you know, look, to see if we were pregnant. And so the first time when we had looked at the pregnancy, um, you know, the, the, the test, um, I had seen first just because I knew what I was looking for. And, I, and so I reacted that it was positive. So he, he didn't see it first. So the second time I wanted him to see it first. So we took a pregnancy test and I, he had my, um, was holding Scarlett, my daughter, and I held it up to him. You know, she's 10 months at this point. We hold it up and he, I could just see in his face and I knew it was positive. And so he actually saw first that we were pregnant. Um, and so, um, we kind of celebrated the, the three of us and, and yeah, started the, the whole path to meeting Charlie. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so sweet. Okay. <laughs> so how was your pregnancy with Charlie? It was, so physically it was, it was easier. Um, so I did not have as much morning sickness. The old wives tale was true. And, you know, it made me think maybe this is a boy. And then obviously Charlie, our son, um, was, was born nine months later. Um, I will say, you know, my daughter was 10 months when we got pregnant. And so being in the first trimester with a, a one-year-old and, and, you know, even later in the third trimester with a toddler running around, I was much more tired. Um, and I think that just, that, that's probably any second time mom going through a pregnancy experiences that. Um, but the big thing was just, um, it, you know, the, the emotions behind it. I don't know if it was being a second time mom. I, I, 
just not maybe not having as much time to fixate it on it. The other thing, obviously, working with you and Mariana as, as my doula, when I had those times where I have, you know, kind of the, the concerns or something like that, I could reach out to you all. Um, and that would always make me feel better. I mean, like my first pregnancy, I remember one time I made four dinners because I would make something and then I'd Google it. And then there would be one article somewhere online saying you shouldn't have that. Like, I, I remember I made like pesto and then I, these things that were fine for me to have. Um, but I just was so worried about, you know, doing something to, to harm the baby in the second pregnancy. I, I was much more confident in myself as a mother um, and also had a team to support me. And so it was a much um, emotionally, it was an easier pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we are of course, always glad to be there to support you. And it's true. I think it's a combination, like you said, of just being that second time mom, you're like, okay, I've done this before. Um, and you know, that first pregnancy, you had kind of started off on a like, oh my gosh, did I do something already wrong? So that anxiety, you know, it, it, it's kind of like that fear cycle. I feel like once you plant fear, especially surrounding pregnancy into a woman, it's so easy to plant and it is so hard to uproot. Mm -hmm. I see it all the time with people, you know, they're told, some, I had a client who was told like no coffee and, you know, she'd already been drinking a cup of coffee a day. And in her second trimester, her midwife was like, wait, what are you talking about? You've been drinking coffee. You cannot drink coffee. So that little, you know, seed of fear gets planted and it's so hard to uproot that being like, no, it is totally fine to drink coffee in your pregnancy. You can have, you know, a cup a day. That's absolutely fine. Um, so it's like those little, you know, things of fear. So I think being a second time mom and, you know, having a great support team, very, very important. <laughs> Yeah. And I agree. I think mom guilt starts long before your child's born. Yes. I think it starts when you're trying to conceive. I think, you know, when you're going through the pregnancy, um, it, it, it is very real, very early. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. So as your pregnancy progressed, what were you, you know, what were your birth preferences? What were you envisioning for this birth? Um, especially compared to like Charlotte's, what did you want to go differently or similarly? Yeah. So, I mean, the, I fixated on, on, on uh, having <laughs> yeah. a back. And so I started listening to, to podcasts. I uh, wanted to be informed. You know, my first pregnancy, I really did not educate myself. Um, and I mean, I'm not sure it would have changed the outcome in any way. But this time, knowing it was a back, I knew there was a possibility I could face more hurdles. And so making sure I kind of was knowledgeable and, um, you know, that led to us, you know, reaching out to a doula and my husband actually, you know, I kind of brought it up. I was like, Hey, I, I think, you know, I'd, I'd like to get a, a doula to have some support there in the, the room with us. And he was totally on board because he was a little nervous. Um, you know, some people had kind of made comments about, you know, why would you do a VBAC? That's risky. Um, and so he, you know, was concerned for me and the baby, even though that risk is, is very, very minimal, mm -hmm. but having someone who was there that was on, you know, that was, knew us and knew our birth preferences was, was big. So yeah, focusing on the VBAC, I, I um, uh, started with seeing a chiropractor earlier, chiropractic earlier, um, which, you know, with second babies, I think it's less likely they'll be breached because your, <laughs> your body's done it once before, but I don't know if that helped, but this, um, Charlie was head down very early. I've listened to, um, some audio books, um, the calm birth method and natural hospital birth. Um, they were very calming for me too. So that had the, an extra effect. I've listened to them on my, my walks. Um, but yeah, the, the goal was a uh, VBAC. The goal was an unmedicated VBAC, um, mm -hmm. which we can, can get to. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I was just hoping to kind of go in. I was hoping to labor at home as long as possible, go in. And then, you know, I think the biggest thing was at least getting 
to try to, uh, yeah. to, to, to be back. And so I tried to also be practical. Um, and obviously I've done a C-section once before, if it became necessary, um, I would do it uh, in a second, um, if that's what we need to, to meet Charlie. But I really wanted to, I, I would have preferred having, you know, a long labor process that resulted in a C-section versus another scheduled C-section. I just really was hoping to get that opportunity to try to, to have a vaginal birth. That's shocking you say that because that's not something I ever hear. You know, most people who are going for a VBAC, they say, I'm going to be so upset if I put in all of this work and end up with a C-section. I would rather just have a scheduled C-section, which is why a lot of times people people are given the option to be back and they choose not to because they're like, you know, I don't want to go through labor and then end up in a cesarean. So it's interesting to hear you say, like, even if it ended in a cesarean, I would rather have this long labor in front of it and <laughs> give my body that shot. That's shocking. I've never, I've never heard somebody say that. So yeah. um, that's awesome that you had that mindset of like, you know, however this ends, I still want to give it my go. I want to give my body a chance, my baby a chance. Um, and most VBACs are, especially because your VBAC was from breach. Um, I would have, I would have really no doubt in my mind that you were going to do this um, yeah. because, you know, a breach primary cesarean is your VBAC chances are so, 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 so high. So I'm glad that you had that mindset going into it. Um, as far as like the end of Charlie's pregnancy, was it pretty smooth? Did anything, you know, come up along the way that made them even think to lean towards a repeat cesarean or even an induction or anything like that? So yeah, provider again was, was great. You know, I started asking questions and, um, they would let me go to 41 weeks and they okay. would induce at 41 weeks. You know, this is all provider dependent. I know there's some providers that will not induce, um, or maybe wouldn't let you go that long. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing that did come up is, is that he was measuring big. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they set an ultrasound around, I want to say it was around 33, 34 weeks, which was right about the time we did the ultrasound to find out Scarlett was breech. Um, and so, you know, part of me is like, oh my gosh, here we go again. Mm -hmm. um, and so went into the ultrasound and I mean, he was measuring big. Um, I want to say it was like 85th percentile. He was already like six pounds at, or they, they guesstimate, obviously they can't tell for sure at, um, like 33, 34 weeks. And so, um, I went to see the doc go into the doctor's appointment after the ultrasound was a little bit nervous but they were they said no we're, we're good you know we're, we're going to keep moving forward and didn't end up having any other ultrasounds um but that was the only thing that came up is I was a little bit worried you know with his size um that you know that could if you grew too much <laughs> well yes. that would end up leading into c-section so um but the provider my provider was very supportive so that's awesome I do also feel like sometimes in you um I hate those end of pregnancy growth scans that they do especially on low-risk women because they're really not warranted um I understand checking the position but like if you want to do that you should be able to do it with your hands and even if you do need to use an ultrasound you don't got to measure that baby if there's no reason to I tell people like you know I I personally would say, if you really aren't sure about the position with your hands, you can do a scan quickly, but I do not want you measuring my baby because my belly measures on track, my weight gains on track. You know, there's no reason to, because it gets in your head. You know, I feel like, especially with you planning an unmedicated birth to hear, oh, your baby might be bigger, even from an aspect of not wanting an epidural, you're like, oh shoot. Okay. So now I don't want an epidural, but this baby is measuring big. Like I've seen that play into people's heads so much too. Um, so I'm glad that your provider was like, no, like, you know, didn't make a big deal of it at all. Yeah. And it definitely, I mean, it was something 
I, I thought about, you know, right. as my belly kept getting bigger and, and especially, you know, you're already bigger in the second pregnancy, but you could tell, and we, we, we didn't go out in the first pregnancy. Um, mm-hmm. I was, you know, working from home and we were very cautious, but now I was getting out more. And so, um, you know, people were making comments. Mm-hmm. And so anytime anyone made a comment about, you know, the, my size immediately, I'm like, think big this baby is. And yeah. so, um, uh, and I was doing the math and I had in my head, I was like, you know, he's going to probably be a nine to 10 pound baby is what I was expecting. And, um, luckily those books I was reading kind of did com- comment on the fact that, or I read online or something, you know, your body makes a baby you can birth. I mean, for yes. the most part, I think there's yes. pretty rare instances where, um, you know, you cannot push out. I mean, obviously positioning and that sort of thing, but I, I feel like uh, most of the time, uh, your body's not going to make a baby that's too big for you to push out. Absolutely. Yes. There are those outlier situations, different diagnoses, positions, gestational diabetes, maybe, you know, there are always going to be those outliers, but most of the time, absolutely. Your baby knows how big your body knows how big to grow this baby. And those ultrasounds are not very accurate, of course. (laughs) All right. So tell us about your birth story. Tell us about going into labor and how labor was. Yeah. So, um, so my water broke, um, at 39 weeks in one day. And so, um, and it was at the end of the day, um, I have, um, I had pregnancy or insomnia, excuse me, in, in both pregnancies, um, not as much in the second pregnancy with Charlie. I think again, it was the, the mental aspect, but definitely had it. So I wasn't sleeping well. And this was at the end of the night, I was going to bed, you know, nine, 10 o'clock most nights. And I, had, was almost falling asleep, got up to use the restroom. And then after I went to the restroom, my water broke, you know, I felt the gush. Um, and so I called the, the doctor's office and with me being a VBAC and I think their policy generally with your water breaking is they did want me to come on in. Um, and so, you know, that kind of threw out the idea of laboring at home. It was heading into the hospital and I had done, um, so it was a Monday I went into labor the Friday before I had done a cervical check. I, I, I didn't do one at, um, the first few times they offered, but I ended up doing it you know, near 39 weeks, I, I was kind of curious where I was. And I, at that point, they told me I was a centimeter dilated and very, very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we called my, my mom, she lives uh, about an hour and a half away. And so uh, her to come watch our daughter. And so we, we did have that time at home and um, reached out to, to Marianne, our daughter, let her know what was going on. And, you know, she made some suggestions just to kind of start, um, laboring at home and my contractions started, um, pretty quickly. I mean, almost immediately after my, my water broke. And at first they were, you know, five to seven minutes apart. Um, you know, I could talk through them, not too intense. You know, I was like, all right, this is, you know, the standard process. And I felt like it amped up very quickly. (laughs) Um, and so by the time my mom got that, got to our house around midnight. Um, and by that point, my contractions were like three, four minutes apart um, and lasting a minute. And so um, we you know, packed up, headed to the hospital. Um, and I think we had to wait for a room. And, I, and at the, by the time I got to the hospital, they didn't slow at all. I mean, at that point, they were two, they were getting like three minutes apart. So they were very, very close. And uh, I remember talking to my husband in the car right over which even in the car ride over, <laughs> I actually had to like turn around and hold onto the back of the chair yeah. because the contractions were so intense. Um, and I remember talking to him and saying, you know, I might be less than three centimeters. You know, I might not be too dilated, but I don't want that to, to throw things off. And I, I think I was more preparing myself <laughs> than yeah. preparing him, but just trying to uh, realize that, you know, I'd only been 
having contractions for two, three hours, and I hadn't had much progress as of Friday. Um, but once I got to the hospital, yeah, they were two, three minutes apart, lasting a minute. I couldn't sit down. That was something about the contractions. I didn't want to be touched. I didn't want to sit down. Um, and um, when I got checked, I was two centimeters and very, very high. Um, and it did kind of take the wind out from under my sails. You know, I think definitely kind of minimizing um, for me, I know, you know, if, if we have a third child, I, I would want to limit any kind of um, those exams just because that does get very mental. Um, and so uh, they admitted us because my water had broken, even though I was only two centimeters dilated. And from the time they admitted us, you know, till we got back into the room, you know, I decided that I needed the epidural. <laughs> uh, I was feeling pretty miserable. Um, and Mariana said after the fact, you know, that I wasn't very vocal, um, but I was um, in a lot of pain. I was, all I would do is hold my arms kind of around my husband's shoulders um, and just sway through the contractions. But at one point, <laughs> um, I actually I was like leaning against his shoulder. And we've been talking about how our daughter like bites him sometimes when he's holding her. And I bit him <laughs> in one of the contractions, um, which I don't know what that was. I guess just you do weird things in labor. <laughs> and one of the other things I said um, that after the fact is I said, I did say, I should have just done a C-section because um, I was in so much pain. And um, I don't know if it was the water breaking or, you know, I mean, I feel like I have a decent pain tolerance, but um, I, I just knew I needed the epidural. So we had our code word. I said our code word. By the time they got the epidural, you know, it was 3, 3.30 and my water broken at 10 p.m. And I was already five centimeters. So it was kind of moving quickly. Um, so we got the epidural um, and that required me to lay on my back, which has always been something through both pregnancies causes my blood pressure to drop. Um, and so when they did the epidural, you know, my blood pressure dropped and Charlie um, started um, having issues with his heartbeat because the contractions at this point, they were so on, one on top of the other. He wasn't having time to recover, I guess, is what I, I kind of understood after that. In the moment, I didn't really know what was going on. You just all of a sudden more nurses are coming in, right. um, more doctors are coming in and they're you know trying different things. And then my doctor or one of the doctors, the doctor on call at the time came in and suggested um, I think it's amniofusion. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically you know, to kind of have more liquid, um, insert a catheter and have more liquid so that he would have a cushion yes. when he's going through these contractions. And so um, we, we did the amniofusion and he, um, at that point, his heartbeat stabilized um, and you know, had the epidural and I was able to kind of rest um, and uh, allow my body to, to, to labor. But that was definitely you know, in retrospect, a moment where I think the providers could easily said, all right, we need to do a C-section. Right. Um, and so I really appreciate they didn't bring that up at all. We tried the amniofusion. And um, from that point, it was actually um, pretty relaxing. <laughs> you know, I was yeah. able to get some rest, you know, it's three, four in the morning. So I was able to kind of, kind of sleep and just chat. And, you know, then I ended up staying, I was at eight centimeters by like 7 a.m., um, and did not get to, to the point where we started talking about pushing until like two 30. Mm -hmm. So it, I actually stayed at eight centimeters for a while. Yeah. Um, and he was high. So they did some different positions with me more upright to get him down further. Um, I, I forget how the pluses minuses work, but he was like plus three, <laughs> minus three, minus three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he was very high. Um, yeah. and getting him down was the, the big thing where they were trying to do. Um, and then we got him into a position where, you know, we were ready to start pushing. So, yeah. um, but yeah. And so then, um, 
you know, with the epidural, you know, they kind of, that was one thing I, I didn't know what to expect about like the, the pushing because um, you're, you're with the epidural, you're not feeling as much there. And I'm like, you know, when are we going to know? And, um, and so they kind of, you know, we're talking about, all right, we're going to start. So the doctor came in and I remember when the first time they kind of started talking about how to coach through the pushing, the nurse was going through and it was, it, it, it seemed like it was like a lot at once. I felt like it was like, you know, your chin's tucked down, you pull your leg, you know, these different things. It is. <laughs> and it feels overwhelming at the moment. And I think I tried the practice pushes and I did it completely wrong. I, 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 <laughs> I did not realize um, the coordination it was going to take to get it right. But I think I was pushing at the wrong time. Um, but after I think, you know, we did the practice pushes and then like another round. And then once I got the hang of it, I think it was it needed three, four more contractions before wow. we were able to push them out. Um, so it was the whole process was about half an hour of, wow. of pushing. Um, and he was a big baby. Um, he was eight pounds, 14 ounces um, at a week early about. So I think he would have been every bit of nine pounds had he had gone to his due date. Um, but yeah, it was, um, you know, absolutely incredible. And everything I dreamed of that moment of pushing him out and getting him on my chest. And I mean, I almost want to cry just thinking about it now. Yeah. It's just really um, a special, special moment. So that's awesome. That's so beautiful. And, you know, your body so clearly was able to push out a big baby. I mean, you had this big baby. Thank God your provider didn't make a big deal about it because you barely, you would, you pushed for like five contractions and he was out. Like, you know, essentially he literally did just like slide right out for, you know, almost a nine pound baby. So that's incredible. Yeah. And I think too, I, I think that was in the back of my mind, like you said, like, well, I think mm -hmm. once that seed is planted, once you hear these things, they, they, they stay there. And so when I went to start pushing, I, I really felt the need to get him out because mm -hmm. my fear was he was going to get stuck because he was a big baby. And so I, I really, you know, did kind of just really push into the contractions and do everything good. And, it, you know, I think his head came out white and it, it's, you know, you see everyone in the room get excited and, it, and that kind of motivates you more. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think, you know, making sure I, I had this fear going in that he would get stuck because of him being a bigger baby. And so I, I think that was impacting the whole process, but especially the pushing. So, yeah. It, hey, at least it kind of like you were able to channel that instead of fear to like determination, like I am yeah. going to push everything I got and, and get him out. And you definitely did. So that's, that's incredible. <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. In that moment. I mean, at that point, you know, you just kind of have to bear down. And so, um, yeah. Okay. So how would you say, um, like that even immediate postpartum was from a vaginal birth compared to that immediate postpartum after your C-section? Yeah. Worlds of, of differences. Um, I mean, for, for me, and, and I think, you know, especially with it being a scheduled, well, with it being a scheduled C-section, I think my C-section recovery actually was not that bad right. um, uh, because I, I hadn't labored beforehand. And so mm -hmm. we went in, you know, it was, um, the recovery from the C-section honestly was not as bad as I had anticipated. Um, and so, um, but it was just, you're more limited after, um, in my experience, you know, I, I couldn't, I obviously was breastfeeding and holding my daughter, but I couldn't, um, pick her up, you know, or change, change her diaper. The first two weeks, my husband changed all the diapers, um, for her to, um, just cause it was hard for me to kind of move around and, and everything. This time I did have tearing, um, and, you know, I had five stitches, two tears, but and that 
has not been, um, that was not nearly as hard in the immediate postpartum. Now, I think long-term postpartum, I think, you know, remains to be seen. I, my, my son's mm -hmm. seven weeks now, and I think I might have some more lingering issues from, um, you know, the vaginal birth and, and the tearing, you know, and so we'll kind of see how that plays out in the coming months. But, you know, being able to move around that day, and especially, you know, one of the big motivators was thinking about my daughter um, when I was in Charlie's um, laboring um, with Charlie, because my daughter at the time, you know, she's 19 months, she loved to climb on top of me. And I knew she was already going to have a big adjustment with us bringing home another child and having to share our attention um, between her and, and our son. Uh, but also if I threw on top of that, the fact that I couldn't hold her, she couldn't sit in my lap, I just thought that was gonna be really hard on her. Um, and so yeah, it was a much, much easier recovery. Um, but I've heard, you know, good with both sides, you know, yeah. there's some people who have really rough vaginal recoveries, um, really rough C-section recovery, vice versa. Um, but in my situation, the, the vaginal birth, uh, the recovery was easier. Yeah, it is so dependent on the person, the labor, the C-section. I mean, there's a thousand variables that come into play because you're you're absolutely right with that. Some people are like, oh, vaginal delivery was easy breezy. And some people VBAC and they're like, oh my gosh, my C-section was so much easier. Um, so it it totally can go either way. There's so many different, you know, factors. Obviously, your pelvic floor and actual like vagina um have some recovery to do after you push a baby out. <laughs> but then with a C-section, you know, you have all these abdominal layers and literally muscles that need to heal. And, um, you know, it, each one is, is so, so, so different. And you're, you know, you are limited after birth, no matter what, no matter how you give birth, like it takes it out of you. Um, you know, every woman who gives birth to superhero, no matter which way you do it, because it's, it's hard. It's so hard. It's hard work, C-section, vaginal, whatever it is. Um, yeah, they, they both have their, you know, different little caveats. It's never easy for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you, you don't really even realize that because you spend so much time, I think, focusing on like the pregnancy and the delivery, and then you focus on the baby, but you don't necessarily realize like what all goes into postpartum care, um, yep. you know, all the products involved and different things to make that recovery easier. Well, um, and the medical system doesn't highlight it at all either. You know, that you have all these pediatric follow-ups for the baby, you have all these weekly appointments while you're pregnant. And then when you're postpartum, they're just like, See you later. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. The, the six weeks you're waiting. I mean, I, and there's definitely times, you know, I had, you know, is this normal? And, and you really don't know kind of who to, to reach out to. I mean, um, you know, especially with the C-section, I felt like, um, and, and I had more issues with um, kind of with the, and, and I don't think this was because of the C-section, but I think breastfeeding first and second time, like I didn't realize oh, yeah. how breastfeeding was going to be Yes, and um, needing supportive lactation consultants. Um, and so I had a lot more issues with that the, the first go around, but, um, but yeah, it, yeah. After waiting for that six week appointment, it's, it's kind of crazy as you're um, recovering for, for weeks and bleeding for weeks and um, then going back to that one appointment. Yeah. I wish they would do like two weeks, four weeks and six weeks, even mm -hmm. that. I still don't think that's like where we need to be, but Lord, would that be better than just six weeks? Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Even emotionally too. Like there's, I mean, gosh, like postpartum, yes, it's physical, but so much of that is emotional. I mean, it emotionally is a roller coaster. So even just to have like emotional checks, I know your pediatrician, like it's supposed to be doing those things. They give you like that one little piece of paper to fill out every single time you go. Um, but like we need a little bit, we need to get back to America. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Well, Casey, thank you so much for just sharing both of your birth stories. Um, I love to hear it. I obviously knew bits and pieces because uh, me and Mariana, you know, we work in a partnership for anybody listening who does not know this. She is the other doula I work with um, and she's a nurse and she's my best friend. She's great. <laughs> but I, we always are like updating each other while we're at births and, you know, giving each other suggestions. And I remember being like, get her into this position when, you know, you were eight for a while and he was still high. Um, so I kind of had knew, known bits and pieces of your story, but it was great to kind of hear it from you firsthand um, from start to finish. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It feels, um, you know, it's exciting to talk through and therapeutic. Yeah. And, and I know these podcasts meant so much to me um, in my pregnancy and helping me feel prepared. So I think it's awesome that, that you do this and you offer this to all your listeners. Yes. I love to share. I think it's the funnest way to learn. You know, I'm huge with education. I think education is the way to diminish so many fears surrounding pregnancy and birth. Um, and I think the best way to learn is to listen to other people's stories. You learn so much, you hear so much. Um, and it's just, it's so fun. And like you said, it's, I always watch people tell their stories and I can see it being almost therapeutic for them. I know it was therapeutic for me too. So, um, thank you for sharing your time. Uh, one last thing, if you had to give kind of one overarching piece of advice, um, what would it be? Yeah. Um, and so I think that would be just to, to, to try not to put too much pressure on yourself in the pregnancy. Um, I mean, your body is going through a lot of changes, you know, you're mentally preparing for, for bringing a child, you're mentally preparing for the, the process of birth. And, um, you know, I felt like with my first pregnancy, there was so much pressure. I was putting so much pressure and had so much anxiety throughout that I, I didn't enjoy the pregnancy and, and going into my second pregnancy, you know, it was just much more relaxing and being able to, you know, enjoy that time and to be excited about the birth. And so, um, you know, try not to let that mom guilt, you know, that, that comes in, in the pregnancy, you know, you, you were going to be the perfect mom for your child. You were going to, you know, one way or another, get your, your son or daughter here. Um, and so soaking up that time and, and really making it memorable, I, I think is, is something that's important. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Well, Casey, thank you so much. This was so fun. Ah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of What the Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational